All right, everyone. I want to welcome you to our second of ten weeks in our series, Committed Marriage. And you see that we're going to go through December the 12th, but we're going to have a couple of nights off, as I mentioned last week. And I have to correct one of the dates that I gave you from last week. We're going to be off on October 31, but we're also going to be off on November 21st, not November 28th. I had 28th on there last, last week. It's the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving's the 22nd, so we won't meet the night before on the 21st. We will meet the following week on the uh, 28th, okay? So just note that if you would. <coughs> So you're taking a marriage class, and you're taking a marriage class because relationships need to be mended, need to be fixed. And not just relationships need to be fixed and mended, but there are lots of things that need to be reconciled or fixed, mended. Our relationships are certainly part of that, but why is it that so many things need to be Put back together. Well, the simple answer is because so many things break. In our world, everything breaks and corrodes and fades. And you see it in everyday life, in everything in everyday life. You see it in our cars, they break, our houses, our bodies. I experienced the body breaking last night. Making the mistake of playing basketball with the guys over at the uh, ministry center. So I'm hobbling around on my left left foot. So our bodies break. Everything breaks down. Everything corrodes. Everything fades. And so we get the idea that that's normal because we see it so often. But that's really not normal. That things break. That things corrode. That things fade. That they have to be mended and fixed. It's not the way that it was designed to be. Things fall apart, and we fall apart, because the world is not now as it was intended to be. We call that this a, a fallen world because of what the Bible describes as, and what theologians have called the fall into sin. That's just sometimes called the fall. Now when you hear that word fall, don't think of an accident that our first parents, Adam and Eve, just sort of tripped up. And everything went haywire after that. It was actually a deliberate, conscious decision to disobey what God said. And as a result of that, everything falls apart. And so as a result of the fall into sin, there are these profound negative effects on the world in which we live. And that's why it seems normal to us that things just break. They fall apart and have to be put back together. And so because we live in a fallen world, economies are broken, and nations are broken, relationships are broken, families are broken, life in general is broken. And so because of that, I've just put that under the heading, stuff happens. You know, why do we have to be reconciled in our relationships? Why do things have to be fixed and mended? Well, it's because stuff happens. 
And stuff happens just by virtue of living in a fallen world. And that stuff that happens in the world in which we live, and in particular in the small portion of the world in which you live and I live, that stuff creates stress that exposes, reveals what's inside of you and me. So to put it another way, things are broken, they break all around us, I experienced that, you experienced that, and the heat of that, the stress of that, then exposes things about you and me when we react to that stuff that breaks. It's saying something about me and what my heart is when I react in a particular way, whether good or bad. But it's not just the stuff that's around me and my reaction to the stuff that's around me. The truth is, you and I initiate problems because our relationships are broken. First, with God. The reason that I don't just experience problems, but I actually contribute to the problems and create them and initiate them is because the most profoundly broken thing in my life and in your life is my relationships starting with God. And as a result of a broken relationship with God, in turn, I don't treat others as God has directed. And so I say hurtful things. And you say hurtful things. And I do hurt harmful things. And you do harmful things. So we have stuff done to us, and we do stuff to others. And it's because of that stuff happens, and because, because we cause things to happen. It happens. It happens to us, but we initiate. We participate. We cause it to happen. Because of all of that, there is the need for fixing, for mending. And in our relationships, that means there's the need for reconciliation. And so, over our weeks together, we're going to look at uh, six commitments of a reconciliation lifestyle. Six commitments. And the first of those I'll look at briefly tonight. The first of these six daily commitments of a reconciliation lifestyle is this. If you as a couple, as a married couple, are going to experience mending, fixing, reconciliation, then you're going to need to commit to these six things. Here's the first one. We give ourselves to a regular lifestyle of confession and forgiveness. And we'll come clean. And we'll deal honestly with our sin, weakness, and failure. So you contribute to the stuff that goes wrong in your relationship. Your spouse contributes. It breaks. It breaks with differing levels of frequency. But to be sure, because you are a fallen person in a fallen world, it breaks. And in order for it to be mended, fixed, reconciled, you're going to have to commit to a regular lifestyle of confession and forgiveness. And I'll explain that. But it means, in part, as you'll see, coming clean, dealing honestly with your own sin and weakness and failure. And so, why do, why do we have these problems in our relationship? Well, the big, the big heading is fallenness or, or sin. 
But let's tease that out a bit. I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why in our marriages we find ourselves having to fix things, having to reconcile things, having to confess and forgive regularly. The first one is this. Unhealthy reactions. Unhealthy reactions. I'll explain. You see, I said stuff happens. And so one of the reasons that things have to be fixed in our relationships is because every one of us live in this fallen world. We have the pressure, the heat of the world around us, our environment. And there's my unhealthy reaction to the stuff that happens. So those things that happen might be discoveries about my spouse. You know, I've gotten married to this person, and I'm learning more about him or her as time goes on. And a lot of what I learn is good. Okay, some of what I learn is good. All right, once there was something good. <laughs> but there's stuff of whatever volume that, that is not so good. And then I've got a reaction to that. And that reaction can be quite unhealthy. And so I can talk in ways that I should not. I can do things that I should not. Or it might be just the trials of life that come all of our way. Sickness, job loss, death, trials that come our way. How do I react to those? And unhealthy reactions to those mean in my relationship, my marriage relationship, there's going to be stuff that has to be mended. So, why do I have to give myself to this commitment to daily have a regular lifestyle of confession and forgiveness? Because I engage in unhealthy reactions to the stuff that happens. But here's another one. Because I have got unchecked baggage in my marriage. Unhealthy reactions and unchecked baggage. Now, what's that, unchecked baggage? <clears throat> Well, that first category, unhealthy reactions, is the stuff that happens to you. Stuff happens. And then you react, often in unhealthy ways. But now the second category of unchecked baggage is not the stuff that happens to you. It's the stuff you cause to happen. There are things that you cause to happen in your relationships, all of them, especially your marriage, because of this unchecked baggage. <clears throat> now, what is the unchecked baggage? that you brought into your marriage? Well, I've got a couple of categories for it. One is, I call it environmental baggage. Every one of us brings baggage, some good, some bad, into our marriages from the environment in which we were raised. And many people never check that baggage. They just bring it. And they assume it's good. I mean, it's got to be good. What's not, what's not to like? My parents gave this baggage to me. My parents were fine. And so whatever I got from them must be fine. Except they're sinners. They live in a fallen world. They go through all of the stuff happens and stuff they cause to happen. As well. 
And so every person then that comes into a relationship, into a marriage, has to check the baggage that they bring from their environment, particularly from their parents. And so, let me give you an example. Your parents might have just laughed all of a sudden during a lecture. <laughs> For no apparent reason. That's baggage. But I've been brought up better than to point people out <laughs> who do that. But, you know, let me give you an example. I, I was counseling a guy some years ago. This guy grew up in church. His dad is a deacon, treasurer. His family were prominent leaders in the church in which he was raised. They still are to this day. And he was having problems in his marriage. And one of the pieces of baggage he brought into his marriage was he lies all the time. And I'm saying, where did you pick up this lying hat? Guess where? His deacon, treasurer, dad, and his prominent mom in the church. He said, our family lies all the time. And they're in an environment, a plastic sort of environment, where you put on a fake facade, and you're not real and authentic. And this guy learned to lie, and he brought that baggage into his relationship. Or you might have parents or a parent that wants to continue to control the son or daughter even after they are married. And those parents may well have groomed that child in order for that child to continue to be dependent on dad or mom even after they're married. I was, I was saying to Kim the other day, as we were talking about our girls, Lainey's going to be 18 in a few months, and Annie is 14, ninth grade, so they're growing up too quick. And we were talking about some of the things that God has brought them through and some of the, some of the difficulty that that was for them and us, bringing them through just uh, some of the struggles, that they personal struggles they have. And God has, in His grace, brought them through, several of those. And I was saying to Kim, you know, I really have to commend you. Because through those struggles, you could have made those girls completely dependent on you. And it would have, it would have fit for Kim to do that. Because she loves having the girls around. She loves mothering the girls. And if it was about Kim, then Kim could selfishly continue to make those girls dependent on her. But she understands that those girls are going to have to have their own home someday. They're going to have to stand on their own two feet. And so we tried to, and she particularly tried to help them accordingly. Or you grow up in an environment and you bring this baggage into your marriage where everybody yells. I'm yelling just because there's a bunch of people back there. <laughs> but you just yell all the time. And it sounds like everybody's angry. And you marry somebody where they didn't yell. And they say to you, why are you yelling? Why are you mad at me? It's baggage that you have to, have to check. Or, and I'm almost done with examples, but maybe you came from an environment where people were relationally distant. And... Shows of affection, demonstrations of affection were just something you didn't do. People didn't hug each other, for instance. 
And so you come now into your marriage, and your spouse may well have not come from, from that. And so that's, again, just examples of baggage. So there's environmental baggage. All of us have it. It's good and it's bad. But we all have to check it. And we have to determine what's good and what's bad. And what we need to change for the sake of reconciliation in our marriages. That's environmental. Here's the second category. Personal baggage. And that is personal. That is just the way you are made up individually. You have and I have certain personal tendencies. And you plug sin into that equation, fallenness into that equation, and you are going to express your individuality, your individual expressions of sin in particular ways with your name on it. So it might be that you're controlling. And you bring that into your relationship. Or that you worry all the time. That's sin, the Bible says. But your, your personality type is that you brood over things. You overthink things. You think about everything that could possibly go wrong. And you worry. That's baggage. Or you manipulate. Your, your personality is such that you're skillful at maneuvering things to get what you want. You blame shift. You rationalize. And the list could go on and on and on. Now, here's what you guys are doing. You're thinking of your spouse's list. <laughs> and you're going, yep, yep, you, you hit her, yep, you got her. No, you need to say this. And as you're going to see from the DVD in a bit, you need to be thinking about your list. And where you fit into that. But friends, what's crucial is this. You need to see your baggage. You need to see the environmental baggage that you brought in. You need to see the personal baggage that you brought in. And having seen it, you then need to act on it. And that's what this commitment then is saying. That we will have this regular routine of confession and forgiveness. That's the action. That's what I do. I confess it. And they seek forgiveness for it. But I won't do either of those unless I see it. And you will never see it if you simply go merrily along saying, this is who I am, take it or leave it. Like it or lump it. You may need help for you to see it. In fact, you probably need help to see it. Because most of us don't see ourselves clearly. That means allowing... Somebody else, especially your spouse, to help you with what you don't see. To point out to you what you don't see. And to help you grace, graciously deal with what you may see but don't want to see. And so you take action having seen it by confessing and forgiving. <laughs> Quickly, what is confessing? What's confessing in the Bible? Confession in the Bible means say the same thing. That's literally what the word means. Say the same thing. Now, how's that a confession? Saying the same thing. Here's what it is. It's saying the same thing about you and about your struggle and about your sin and about your failure that God says about it. 
That's why confession means say the same thing. So no weasel words. No, well maybe I sort of... You say what God says about it. That's what confession is. And then forgiveness is... I ask you to forgive me for explicitly... This is what I've done or this is what I do to you. And I'm asking you to forgive me for that. Confession and forgiveness. I'll have opportunity to tease that out further next week. But now, we're going to be treated to a DVD from uh, Paul Tripp. He'll talk a little bit about some of what I've said and expand on some other things that will be helpful for us. Well, I saw a number of you scribbling furiously when he said, a desire for a good thing becomes a bad thing when it becomes a ruling thing. Uh, but if you look on page 6, that's already typed out uh, for you. And please do take a look at page 6 under the key points. In our final minutes together, we want to reiterate those key points. And Paul said these four major things in his presentation that you see in the middle of page 6, that marriage problems are first heart problems before they are behavior or communication problems. And therefore, we need to focus on our hearts to bring change and reconciliation to marriage problems. That we attach our identity, our meaning and purpose, sense of well-being to something. It's either the creator or the creation. And it's sin that causes us to exchange worship and service of the creator for worship and service of the creation. He said, what rules your heart will always exercise control over your life and behavior and then a desire for a good thing becomes a bad thing when it becomes a ruling thing. Now let me just uh, expand briefly on, on that. He says it very well when he says a desire for a good thing becomes a bad thing when that desire becomes a, a ruling thing. Uh, a paraphrase of John Calvin uh, on that same topic is this. He said that, a, that idolatry is often found in wanting good things too much. That idolatry in our hearts is often created when we want good things. But we want those good things too much. And so you could have a long list of those good things. I want comfort. I want respect. I want, uh, I want to be cherished. I want love. I want communication. These are all good things. But they can become idolatrous when you want them too much. Which brings me to the second thing. How do I know when I want something too much? And you know that you want even a good thing too much when you're willing to sin in reaction to its absence. You're willing to sin when you don't have it. When you're willing to sin because you don't have that thing, then that thing, even if it was a good thing, has now become idolatrous. And so, I want comfort. I come home from work, I want some peace and quiet. That's a good thing. But if I'm willing to yell, throw things, say hurtful stuff, then I've wanted that good thing too much. That has become more important to me than honoring God and honoring the people made in God's image. If 
You know, I want uh, a house that looks a particular way. That's fine. That can be a good thing. But if I sin in reaction to its absence by having a lack of joy, by being depressed, because I don't have what other people have, and thinking about that and letting it dominate my thoughts, that good thing has become an idol. So how can you know that something has become an idol for you? It is when you sin because you don't have it. And then one other point related to that. And that is that you might, you might have a problem with a particular good thing. And it's become idolatrous to you. And you know it's become idolatrous to you because of the way you react when you don't have it. So what you could determine to do is let's make sure we have this for dad so that he doesn't blow his stack. Let's make sure we get mom the stuff she wants so she's not depressed. Well, here's the problem. We still haven't fixed the heart, have we? And here's what will happen. You will exchange one idol now for what? For another. And Christ is interested, Christ is interested in change, not exchange. Christ is interested in your heart being changed and my heart being changed. And so it is the worst thing that we can do to look at that idolatrous thing and say, in order for you to begin to behave properly and to be joyful and to be civil, let's make sure you have this thing that you demand. What we should do is analyze the heart and look to Christ for change rather than simply exchanging one idol for another. Now take a look on page 6. There are the questions for discussion, and let's uh, just bounce through these quickly. Paul talked about apple nailing in his excellent uh, illustration. What is that? Well, it's making the, the problems look good. It's working on symptoms rather than the root. Apple nailing solutions are temporary and they don't bring about heart change. So what is it? It's trying to make the problem look good. It's working on the symptoms, not the root. Those solutions are temporary. They don't bring about heart change. And so apple nailing examples would be, you know, in order for me to be better than I am now, in order for me to act better toward you and in life in general than I am now, I need a new job. That's an apple-nailing solution. Now, you may need a new job because you need more money for your family or something like that, or to advance your career, but a new job is not at the root of your problem. That would be an apple a new job, or a new house, or a new spouse, or let's go on vacation. That should fix things. Or... And the list is endless. A baby. I've seen couples do this. We need a baby in the mix. Here's why. We got to have something between you and me. We can't get along. We already have four or five, and I don't know what the limit is. I'm not telling you that. 
But I'm just saying to have another one simply because that's the only way I can be happy is apple nailing. Number two, what are the two categories that define what we may attach ourselves to? Remember, you will either attach your purpose, your well-being, your identity to either the creator or the creation. What does it look like to find your identity in the creation, in created things? Well, it's when things become more important than others or God or doing what's right. As I said, when you're, when you're willing to sin in order to have these things. Or when a large portion of your time and your mental energy is spent on these things. It dominates your thinking. When the main purpose for your money is for you to buy things rather than to use them for the God who gave them then you become too attached to created things. Or when decisions are made in your life, based primarily, if not exclusively, on things. And what will help us amass or enjoy things more? And then last, how does sin influence what we're attached to? We'll either be attached to the creation or the creator. How does sin affect that? Sin pulls us away from worship and service of the Creator. To worship and service of the creation. Pulls us away from worship and service of the Creator to worship and service of the creation. All right. Did you guys do the homework uh, last time? You don't have to raise your hand. But do that. You had homework last time at the end of the pages in your book from session one. And you likewise on page seven have homework for this week as well. And take a look at page seven and the application. Are you willing to confess what Paul said? I am the greatest source of my marriage problem. If so, circle that statement. If you think you're not, stop taking this class. <laughs> Write the name of a person you can speak openly with and receive counsel. The name of that person would be me. I'm going to counsel you now and say circle the thing at the top. Okay? <laughs> There's my counsel. Now, obviously, you've got to mean it, but, but friends, please... Please. I, I was joking, but it's not completely a joke when I say stop taking the class. If you came here for somebody else, it ain't going to work. You need to have come here for you. The truth of the matter is, you have no guarantee that your spouse is going to cooperate, do you? The best case is that both of you cooperate. You both do that. we got a beautiful thing going now. But you have no guarantee on that. What you can control is what you do and how you change. And so I, I beg you, really, to consider what God is saying about your own heart. And then pray and work with your spouse 
for his or her heart as well. And then the application asks, what are you most tempted to attach your identity to? And then think about, think about what that is. What have you allowed to rule you? And then he has some very helpful questions for you to go through. And I would encourage you to think about going through those with your spouse. And then there is the just between the two of you section that you need to go through with your spouse. And then we have the further reading. I encourage you to do that. Lord willing, we'll see you back here next week at 7.15. Let's ask the Lord to help us if you go, okay? Father, we thank you again for this marvelous opportunity to focus our minds upon this most important of human relationships, marriage. Marriage came from your hand. It is your idea. You know how it's supposed to go. You've given us instructions in your word about relationships in general and marriage in particular. And so help us to have open hearts that will heed the teaching of the word of the Creator. You know us better than we know ourselves. You know what's best for us, infinitely what better than we know ourselves. And so Lord, I pray that we will trust you to the extent that we at least believe that you're the one who made this world, that you're the one who gave marriage, and therefore you know how it should go. And we'll do homework. And we'll be honest with ourselves. And we'll see our own hearts and our need for change. And that we'll continue to come together and grow together. We ask you to grant us safety this week and to bring us back next Wednesday. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.